Did you watch the Super Bowl? I didn't. This did is, you watch uh, the Super Bowl halftime show? I did not. Did you hear who uh, was on it? Yeah, I well, <laughs> yeah, it was all like Dr. Dre, Eminem. <laughs> I uh, I actually heard this a few like I heard who was going to be on it a few weeks ago, and Tupac. I remember there's what <laughs> Tupac was there. <laughs> Wait, really? Did they do like that? No. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Like you know when like the Rolling Stones are performing the Super Bowl and like your parents get all excited because they're like, oh, we <laughs> yeah. grew up with that band. So like when I heard that like it was gonna be Eminem and Dr. Dre, like I had that moment, and then I was just like, oh my god, I'm so old. Like I'm so old. We were all loving it, and then like the next day, all the memes are like, if you enjoyed the Super Bowl halftime show, it's time to schedule your colonoscopy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was awesome though, man. It really was good. <laughs> Bring the Stones back. It's true. It's true. But you know what? They're better than the Stones, so it's all it's okay. It's not as embarrassing. <laughs> It was good. It was a good game. Matt Stafford won. Rams won. I don't know if you heard about it, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, I you did know, see the LA one. 11 years in Detroit Lions, not even a single playoff game won. And the first year of the Rams, he wins the Super Whoa. Bowl. So uh, it's a pretty, it's either rarely, it's, 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 I think it's more of an indictment of Detroit Lions than it is about uh, Stafford, <laughs> but he's good. He, I, I was happy to see him win it. It was a fun game. It was a great season. It was my favorite playoff season in NFL that I've ever watched before. All the playoff games were great. Super Bowl yes. was pretty good. It was fun. Cool. Um, all right. So uh, we are talking about front-end web development today. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting in the zone here. I had a long yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, can, you, can, you can redo that one. <laughs> no, I think we'll leave it in, actually. I think we'll leave it at i'm getting ready to go on a ski trip too I'm gonna go to lake tahoe i've been on one other ski trip this season and uh there was like seven percent of the lifts were open and uh because it's been such a light season this year you know um oh i guess i should record zoom i'm not even gonna bother it's been a light season this year and um but now that, that we're going to North Star in Ta- Tahoe, and 100 of the lifts are open as we speak so uh wow I'm pretty excited about it Dude, you're going to have a blast. It's I amazing can't wait. out there. I can't wait. Um, cool. So where we leave off last, last time, it's been a little over a week since our last record uh, on our side. Um, I know we've been talking a lot about suspense and, and um, yeah, what were you going to say? I was going to say we talked about like suspense and then the image testing last, right. last one. I guess one point here that, you know, it's been funny making these videos about suspense and... Um, uh, concurrent mode and the transition stuff, which we're starting to dig into because you kind of, it's, you learn it, you think you know it enough, you teach it. And then it, it takes like two or three videos and two or three podcasts till you feel like actually comfortable and really able to explain something. And then it's like, you go back to try to talk about it and you forget how you spoke about it before and that it didn't <laughs> make sense. And like you, I don't know if you've watched any, if you watch stuff that we made even four weeks ago, it's like we were missing a point about it. You know what I mean? I I, I mean, of course. And also, too, the first app we write that's 100% suspense will have that same thing. So, right. like, I, you know, I think that's fine. Like, no one, everyone's, we're all learning here. Yeah, but it's kind of fun capturing it since we've been making a lot of videos on this as we're learning because I think it's the best time to actually teach it since we have, like, the most you know, we're closest to the people, to someone who doesn't know what it is yet. And so we're explaining it in a way that made sense to us coming from that place. Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes you see like core team react members tweeting and they're just like, well, obviously it's just this or that. And you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know? Yeah. But I was going to, I was going to say those tweets are, are great in five years from now, but they're so right. inaccessible right now. Right. So. Exactly. One little bonus, one little thing that was one of an example of this that came out of like some of the last few videos that that i was working on was like i didn't even realize this when i was making my video otherwise i would have highlighted it in the youtube video which was like i made this hook with use um use auth that that current user if you get that from the your use auth hook using valtio it suspends because that's a promise and so automatically valtio will throw it and so your tree will suspend but if you get uh use auth dot status you get unknown but like your hook doesn't suspend anymore 
I don't know if we talked about this last we week. We did. We did. We talked oh, okay. About okay. This. We talked about this. So we'd already talked about this. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because I was in our podcast list here. But that was just something that I didn't even highlight in my YouTube video, but was actually like the coolest thing ever because you go from a component down in your tree that suspends to one that doesn't. Wait, are you sure? I think you did. I talked about it in the YouTube. I might have. Yeah. I showed it, but I didn't highlight that. I, mm -hmm. I showed grabbing the status and being a render unknown. But I would have like called it out and said like this we're we're changing whether or not this hook suspends by which property we access. And okay. it's cool because now you have a I think we talked about it in the podcast. Yeah. But not my YouTube video. Because you get a chance. Yeah, I remember now we talked about it on the podcast. I thought I thought you did show this. I thought like we were like we were debating if you should keep this in or not. And it's like, well, you do it really quickly and it's really cool to see. Maybe I'm just completely out okay. of it because I've been uh, <laughs> okay. Okay, <laughs> had a long weekend. Let's just maybe we just cut that whole section. Well, <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's keep this because I actually want to talk more more about this. Okay, cool. Um, so I've been doing um, some. I've been prepping some stuff for Star Transition, learning how transitions work, and um, whatever. We don't need to get into that now. But there are a bunch of demos um, in the old concurrent mode uh, docs. But it's not a blog post. What is it? It's like the old docs. They're they're outdated. Some some of the APIs have changed, but I think like the higher level themes and ideas are are still valid in this. And um, in the demos, they uh, concurrent the UI patterns. They're experimental uh, docs post um, yeah. under ReactJS docs, but they're now they say that they're they're outdated, but they still leave them here for reference. Yeah, I think that the higher level, like why this thing exists, is is still still valid. Yeah. But the um, there's a bunch of links to code sandboxes. Those don't work because they're they're referencing like some version of React that no longer exists, like some hash that no longer commit hash that no longer exists, and uh, the APIs have changed a little. And I think rather than try to update that, they have some newer blog posts. Um, but uh, anyway, that the reading in there is is good. You just have to know it's outdated. Um, in their examples, they do something interesting where when they uh, suspend, they basically return an object, like a user object. And that user has like many posts, many photos, maybe a profile. Um, those are going to be like keys in that object. And then they, the keys will be... Um, another object that sorry let me rewind a little the value of those keys so like user.profile will point to another object that basically this is just an object that wraps a promise and it has one function that function is called read and they read the current state of the promise and if the promise is still you know in flight still pending they will throw the promise otherwise they return the data from the promise and so this is like a neat little way, like it kind of like clicked. It's exactly what you were just saying. Uh, it's a cool little way to basically um, fetch a bunch of data in your hook, but only suspend when someone actually tries to access that data. And you can see this in all their components. They do like user.post. It's like that kind of stuff. It's yeah, not even. It's way simpler. It's like user.post.read. Um, and that read function is just going to say, is this, is this promise fulfilled? If so, return the data. Otherwise, throw the promise so you can suspend. Gotcha. So you can just go through, you know, you can do like user.name, you know, maybe that data you, is available. Right. So it doesn't suspend, but you do user.post.read and that there's a fetch for that. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's really interesting to see in all these demos. Now, all these demos are like they're suspense demos, so they all suspend. There's right. no like demo where it doesn't suspend, but you can right. kind of start to see this. And it made me think like, I mean, just the way like we have whole data models for our data, so you could easily find little boundaries to um, to do your fetch calls to throw promises, right? So you have like users, users have many photos, maybe photos have metadata, and um, yeah, how you fetch that doesn't really matter, right? Because you can just throw at any point and do like a, do a lazy fetch or do a prefetch. So I thought that was pretty cool. That um, is cool. I just want to say, like the the big the reason I thought this was so cool is because before, when whenever we were writing suspense, it was like, um, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a fetch, 
and then throw a promise. And then when the fetch comes back, I'll resolve the promise. But there's no like, we never actually check if we're actually reading that data that we fetched. You just assume you are. It's a different, it's just a very different way of thinking. It's a different way yeah, of thinking. Yeah, what I was going to ask is like, is there any, I, I remember I, when I was trying to do this myself, I couldn't find a way to actually see whether a promise has been fulfilled or not. I don't think there's any that's, way to do it. That's why they do this, like, they have this function called wrap promise. And so wrap promise takes, basically, it's like a, a like state machine for your promise. So when the promise resolves, uh, they set comes, some state. Exactly. They set mm -hmm. like status. Status goes from like pending to resolved or, or, yeah. or pending to error. And so that's, that's like the whole point of this, this gotcha. like little wrap promise object. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Cool. Um, you just reminded me of something. What were we talking about last week that didn't make it on here? How promises change values? No. We were doing the transition. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. So, so it's interesting because kind of like you're saying, if React is now aware of when your uh, different subparts of your tree uh, is not are not ready yet and it can almost basically act like this coalescing agent and wait until they are already makes it easier for you as the app developer to throw these things anywhere sprinkle them around but then you can fall into like some anti patterns with respect to like making sure your page loads fast and doesn't have like a waterfall situation which could introduce like a lot of states which happened to us since we've been writing SPAs from Ember where you have components that fetch data and you eventually hoist all the data fetching to the route. So um, that like eliminates intermediate states from your app and it just makes it so like you have one data request that goes out. So there's almost this like pathway where you add suspense and it makes it easier to like have, uh, you know, fewer loading states and, and UI states in your app because now React is aware whether you have an async component or not. Uh, but then this almost encourages you to like split it up more. And so, you know, they, it's like a lot of this stuff they talk about with, uh, in the context of relay, which lets you co-locate the data fetching, but then there's like maybe a build time step that like pulls it all out and actually turns it into like a single request. Um, but now you don't have to thread the props through this tree from the route because of that and, and so on. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, my take on this is like, they're not going to have an opinion just right. like the the guides have like every react app fetches data right 99.5 percent. but there's like one line in the current version that docs about right. data fetching right. or like one paragraph so and and i think it's you know it's it's good that you can let community solutions come up and you don't yep. have to provide an answer to everything because then you just get bogged down by having answers for everything so yep. um yeah i think that um this kind of strikes me as you know do what you think is best for you. Like if you're using relay, maybe that's an answer. Um, for me, it was interesting because I, I four weeks ago would have said, Oh, you have a data fetching component and you should suspend until the data is ready. And it's not really what you should, how you should think about it. It's right. You have a data fetching component and you should suspend as soon as you try to access. Some if you need data. some part of it, that's, uh, not ready yet. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, it is interesting because, uh, I, I'm looking forward to when, and I think we have to talk about this, where, where these integrate with the routing layers, because if you can have, uh, it, if React can be aware of any data fetching component, any whatever async component, and suspend the app, then you can cover routing too, even if it involves fetching the code that's needed to run to find out what the query is. So you should, in theory, be able to um, click on a link, fetch the code for that link, run that code, and then if it runs a data fetch, you need it. Um, and so you suspend that entire time and show us like a single loading spinner, or you use a transition that for that entire time and show the previous page and keep it responsive and maybe show a little indicator after a certain amount of time. I think the ability to be able to do both of that in the most generic way possible, which is you're just rendering, changing which components are rendered and you can have both of those decisions to make, uh, is pretty amazing. And, um, you, if you start a transition by clicking a link and you keep the old page painted while this new waterfall of events of things are happening, and then they click another link, 
because React's aware of all of that, it can actually throw all of that work away. And uh, the fact that you don't have to orchestrate any of that is amazing. Now, it's true, it might be like inefficient because I was tweeting about this and saying like, we've always had blessed kind of uh, uh, hooks for associating the, the data needed for a route to render meaningfully, like the minimum data needed, like a number, it was like the model hook. Remix has a concept of loaders, like the view project, uh, uh, Nuxt has, has this idea. And uh, it's almost like in an interesting way, if you have transitions and suspense, you can, um, you can achieve the same UI uh, without even React needing to know, mark which part is, uh, is the loading the data for the route. Because now we have a generic way to do it within any component to tell you know, what's not ready yet. And so when you click a link and render a new page associated with the URL, you get to choose which components are rendered. And if they're not ready, they suspend. So you achieve the same result. So I was tweeting about this because I was thinking through all the implications of this. And if and when we get to a day where the routing layer and frameworks like Next are uh, integrated with suspense and transitions, it's pretty cool that you can do this and fetch data arbitrarily down your your subpath and, and have the same UI result. Uh, there Now there's still... That the problem is like this, there's this waterfall where you have to, if you code split, you fetch the, the code first and then that has to run and then it has to figure out which data. And if you were using a framework that had like a bottle hook, you could, you could do those in, in parallel rather than in, in a waterfall. But yeah, I think that's but, an optimization from my perspective. It's like a, you know. Also too, we hit waterfalls in Ember that the, the Ember does have a model hook, but you have nested routes, post one, comments two. Right. Right. You're going to waterfall because post one has to load before comments two can load. Right. And so, um, yeah, yeah I think there's ways around it if it's a problem. I, I, but I, I just, it was a cool little light bulb moment for me that without ha suspense and transitions work in a component. Like these model hooks are either like uh, methods on another class. Exactly. They're hoisted. They're yeah, either methods yeah, on yeah. another class or they're a function you export from module scope. It's a, it's not a component. Gotcha. But gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. Suspense yeah, yeah. and transitions are, within the component API. And so you get to keep the complete flexibility and composability benefits of components, but now you're able to mark certain parts of set state as like transitions. You're able to mark certain reads as suspense. And so now without introducing like an, an, another kind of API uh, within your just good old component tree, you can basically achieve this result of like knowing what, when the data for a route is loaded, which we haven't really been able to do yet. So this is super interesting just to, to tie this back. So, okay, I get what you're saying now. And yeah, I, I totally see it. And yes, um, yeah, before we always had a little sandbox, we put our data loading in, we declare the data loading, we declare the data needs for, you know, this page, this subtree by hoisting it up somewhere. Now we no longer need that because any component can suspend, which in a way is its way of declaring, I haven't loaded my data yet. Um, it's pretty cool that, when you extract your data loading into a, a, a route or a, a model hook or a, um, a function a you loader, export, yep. you, uh, you end up loading that data, whether you use it or not, it's basically load the data and then render the page. Mm -hmm. But with suspense, it doesn't matter if, um, going to what I said with like the, the, the wrapping, the promise and throwing, when you try to access a property. Now you can declare your data loading needs, but you won't actually suspend if you don't use them. There's so literally no extra it's constraints. Cool. It's as dynamic as a component tree is, which is like purely, uh, completely flexible. Cause it's just, you know, um, it's just a set of JavaScript functions effectively. And so any sort of conditional behavior you do there, it's like the most pleasant from a DX perspective, because you're not having to, I mean, remember like when we would pull data into the model hook, but then like you want to show like a loading indicator or, or a skeleton on part of it. Now you have this new API that's like loading templates, which is like very coarse. And so it only covers certain cases, but it's, you would, you would rather just be like having a, a state variable that you flip. This is pretty cool that you basically have all of this, you know? Yeah. It's also pretty cool that, uh, just taking a step back, none of this specifically has to do with, um, like routing or data. Nothing. Routing. Exactly. There's like an abstract concept, which is I'm, I need more time. I'm not ready to render. So 
keep the rest of the world in place and I'm going to go figure things out over here. So this is, we, we, in our apps, like the biggest bottleneck is going to be network IO. So we always go there, but like, it's more abstract than that. Slow. Yeah. yeah. Pa- Paul Henschel had the zoom in component and he put it within a suspense boundary with a CPU intense, uh, 3JS renderer that suspended until it had like rendered its particles. And once it did, the zoom in component now rendered had an effect that caused the scene to zoom in and he was just able to drop it in within a, a sibling in a suspense boundary. So again, he's coordinating like the behavior of the UI with components that are bound, but they're not network bound, they're IO bound, kind of like you're saying, but it's, it's pretty crazy that it's like, it, it is, it's a more higher level generic concept that like data, data based routing is a, is a part of, is a subset of it's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just, you know, I think our, like, as soon as we start building apps like this, we're going to see all these areas. Yeah. We that's, I mean, we that's just, something else that you, you pointed out, like, as we've been hacking on it, which is like, there's a lot of, there's just some semantics and, and, um, nuances of like use effect that people, you know, and, and pure render functions that maybe people haven't had to be aware of as, um, you know, as, um, precisely as maybe they would have liked, uh, the team would have liked had we known we were moving to this world and we might, if, and when this world does kind of come around, there might be a lot of existing code that's not really compatible with it because there's bugs mm-hmm. that yeah, only surface and concurrency kind of stuff we've been talking about. So that'll be interesting, but it does, it feels like the biggest change since hooks for sure. If, and when it, it really kind of takes over, because if you end up looking at the code that you write, there's a lot different about it. You know, you're hoisting the loading states and, and stuff like that. There's, it's pretty different in a lot of ways. It feels, it feels, like a a really big change because um yeah it just feels like a really big turn it feels it like there are a lot of people when i look at react components they don't really care about like the components being reactive if they just get like one render of the component that's totally fine and they never expect it to re-render again um and there's right. no observable bug that's right. a key thing there's no right. observable bug from those components and i think when we go to concurrent mode those components are going to start um rendering a couple times i guess strict mode like tries to help you with this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but um yeah i think it's going to be a pretty big change and yeah i'm excited i mean i'm excited for it yeah i like that there's been i mean i know it's been taking a long time i know we're kind of like just at this point in our react journey where we're really diving into this even though this you know i think this experiment this this announcement posted like two years ago or something and there's people who've been using some of these apis for a couple of years you know they've been talking about them coming around in react 18 which is now a release candidate which is why we kind of felt like it was a good time to dive into it but um uh it does make me feel better that there's people who've been basically using the basic ideas from these apis for a couple of years and still love them and like the code that i've been writing with it i, I love it too so I'm, I'm excited about it even in spite of there probably going to be some churn you know and stuff to figure out mm-hmm. by the way do, do you know like I don't know what the difference between like alpha, beta, release candidate. Like, yeah, I thought release candidate is like no, no more new features. Maybe. Okay. You know, I I know that they they to me they just signal different levels of like confidence. Yeah, I guess but I so. don't I I don't like I can tell you the difference between like uh, like um, Semver or like one dot one dot zero yeah. and one dot two dot. You know what I'm saying? I, but I don't know. I think it's up to them, but I guess, no, I guess 18 is a signal of no new feature. Like if they're going to release 18, I I think it's probably just a confidence, you know? Cool. Al- I think I'm pretty sure alpha was like their team started using it. People at Facebook started using it. Beta is like other people can use it. And then release candidate is like, we're getting closer. <laughs> that's kind of that's <laughs> nice. my take. I like it. Um, yeah, cool uh cool man you want to wrap it up with this last topic here internal tools yeah um so we you and i earlier today were just talking about an internal tool internal tools mm-hmm. and uh i got thinking that you know internal tools are like really hard to talk about publicly um public facing websites are really easy to talk about they're just really easy to talk about you can share a link they're usually like there's usually like a brand behind them that people know like i always think when um when Vercel and Next.js were just absorbing 
the uh, the internet and everyone was rewriting his next they would tweet out like oh you know so and so is just launched on Vercel with a new Next.js app and it's like always a brand that you're familiar with and you go to the website and it's just like super fast and you know all the goodies that, that we love from Next right it's, but it's very easy to talk about those things because um it's just easy there's like a website it's everyone knows what you're talking about like websites are meant to be used by just random people right, on the internet right in, but like the things that matter for a public facing website are very, very different than the things that matter from internal tools. And it's really hard to talk about internal tools, but they're so important. Well, yeah, but it's, it's, it's so hard to talk about them because there's so much like domain expertise. Like, so if I showed you like screenshots from an internal tool, that's like, um, looking at ca candidates that we're about to give a grant to. You're going to be like, what is this? Like, what are all these tables? What does all this data mean? What are all these acronym means? Like, yeah. like it's just going to be really hard for you to relate to that versus like you go to like Nike.com. Right, right. Um, and then also too, like, man, like 90% of my web development career has been on internal tools. So these are the things that are hardest I, to talk about. <laughs> the hardest to talk about, but the things that I, I believe, you know, most people like me work on. Um, sorry, let me rephrase that. I believe people work on, there's a ton of people working on internal tools, like right. more so than public facing websites. Right. Um, I mean, just think about like totally. how many internal tools do you think Nike has and how many public facing websites do you think they have? Yeah, it's exactly. Probably 10, it's probably 10 X. Right. Maybe right. more. Right. Um, and so the concerns for internal tools are very different than from a website. And so I kind of wanted to talk about that. Like, what are things that matter in internal tools? Um, so just to like get us started, like a uh, public facing website usually needs to be, um, it needs to be fast. Uh, it needs to work for, for everyone all over the world. So you get like small bundle sizes, edge deployments, and those things are awesome. Like, they are awesome. Uh, not dismissing those things at all. Internal tools are generally used by like one person or like a team of people all in the same all in the same office. Um, they might even yeah, be only so, accessible on an internal network and not even have yeah. all set up. I mean, my, my first job yeah, was like yeah, that too. By the way, I'm the same way. Most of my work has been internal tools. Like um, going yeah, back exactly. to when yeah. I was writing Perl scripts to do like data massaging at a financial software company in Boston, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's super interesting. So like code splitting and edge deployments are like it's a really big thing right now. But if you're writing something that only runs on a internal network, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you're not, you know, it just like it it's, doesn't. It's, it's not doesn't, worth not, the trade off. Like, it's not even. It's it's not. It doesn't even, even make sense. It it's like make not. Sense. It's like it's like a paradox almost. Right. Like right. Um, so yeah, I just yeah, I wanted to talk about that because yeah, I think most developers do work on internal tools. And, no, it's yeah. it's a good point. I mean, it's, maybe you're saying basically like if you just read Twitter, you you're gonna get um, the public the concerns of a public facing website get undue attention relative to the amount of work being done on internal versus external websites and web apps and. Um, and I have a hunch I, it's because external websites are just easier to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's it's ultimately what the internal tools are serving. So maybe you could say it's it's interesting, you know, working on working on TED. It's like a lot of page views every day. It's you know, it's 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 yeah, it's what everybody knows. It is easier to talk about. That's kind of what you're saying. Um, yeah, I think we've talked about this like maybe a couple of years ago or just over the years in the podcast for sure. But it's like that's probably why we do have such a strong bias for how to reduce complexity in code because that's always been the biggest thing as opposed to uh, performance issues. You know, it's very rare that we've encountered a situation where the perf problems are the like limiting factor in moving a project forward. It's always like saving related, like graphs of related data and, you know, state stale state issues and, you know, things like that. Um, you know, a consistent design and how to like share design system values and, and tokens. You do it in components that are restricted in API interface, or do you do it in lower level ways? Um, you know, and, uh, and, and sharing data across internal apps, uh, is tricky too. You know, uh, once you have a lot of times, I mean, that's the other thing is like, like, I love the whole 
you know, monolith first and, and, and as an idea, it makes a lot of sense. Like, and there's a lot that appeals to me about if you're starting a, a company with like three people, it's like you and three of your friends, you're hacking on something. You want to keep it simple, like a Rails app in a single repo with your front end and back end and, the, and database. It's pretty cool. But a lot of teams at companies, front end teams, like the reason a lot of front end teams even exist is because like what you're saying, you have like 10 apps that are consuming the same data at Nike and um, the best way that makes the most sense to work on that often is to have like distributed front ends talking to like a, a similar API layer or some combination of like different backends that sync up. So like those are also concerns that, you know, a lot of times you have to have. Um, that to be real time, you know, you can't go and edit a talk that's published. And if you edit a talk that's published or, or not published and you publish it, you want to see it on the front page of the website and if there's like a delay there, you have to explain to like your stakeholders why that is, you know? Um, yeah. So like the, the freshness of the data is really important, more important than like, um, yeah, other things, you know, I, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, data is a really good one because um, for like consumer facing websites, you, you don't want to show them a lot of forms. You don't want to show them a lot of data. Right. Like imagine a like checkout from Amazon. You had to fill out like three different forms. Like, yeah. It'd yeah. be a disaster. Yeah. You just like abandon your shopping cart. And uh, but for the internal tools, man, there's just so much. So you're not only reading data, but you're writing data too. And so and then you have to like if you do a write, you have to make sure to refresh everything you read it. And the by the way, these are things that like public facing websites do face. For sure. But, but no, I think it but is much it's, more intense. It's it, it is because you're you're building for power users. I mean, how many of our internal tools we worked on? over the years came from Excel spreadsheets that already existed yeah. with workflows and formulas. Like that's yeah. the user you're talking about. It's not, you know, someone on their iPhone trying to buy something. Um, so that's very different. They have different expectations and different uh, goals that they, they need. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, like forms, I mean, forms are just, I think they're huge. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think they get talked about enough. Right. Even though they, they actually do get talked a lot about a lot, but yeah. 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 It's definitely like, uh, I think we talked about this also like years ago when we were doing a lot of Ember stuff, like the, we call it kind of like the middle class. And it's this idea of like, yeah, like I'm kind of interested in like the developers who are like not perf nuts at Google or working on like Firefox at Mozilla. And they're not folks who are just learning about like HTML and CSS and JavaScript for the first time. It's like, you know, it's like where we were, you know, a couple of years ago building, yeah, internal tools. What are the problems they face once you know how like state in React works, once you know how to like set up a database and like write a controller endpoint and you're working on like production app, what do you actually face? And it's like, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's stuff that like doesn't really get, you know, I've been doing more YouTube and uh, stuff lately and um, it's a lot of fun, but you look on like developer YouTube and what people talk about. And a lot of times there is pressure to like revert to like the entry level stuff because it's the most accessible. There's a lot of beginners there. And so, um, there's a lot of content you find that's addressing that. And I actually feel that that's true in a lot of like docs and even like open source libraries. It's just conference talks too. It's just a lot of times it's easy to talk about those uh, the early stuff and then you kind of have a big gap where you go to like the react core team talking about what they're doing research wise and algebraic effects and and there's this kind of middle space where you know that's what uh i feel like the some of the full stack ecosystems like laravel and rails do a really good job it's like we have an off a first party auth solution that tells you what the current user is and, and you're gonna you're gonna want to set up roles because you are going to want different users to have access to do different things with data. And it's like, yeah, there's just a way to do that. And we've thought about that, not because it's an API you can't come up with, but it's because like, this is something that we're doing a lot of. And, you know, it's like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, like the abstractions in your tool, are they coming from like building lots of these things or, you know, and, and a lot of those are. If you're building lots of things, you're going to those are the kind of problems you're going to run into. So those are a lot of times the problems that we're interested in. Um, but uh, the the JavaScript ecosystem, the front end ecosystem, is definitely like I think it's more. It just it's it's more diverse, you know, because mm -hmm. you can use like React for so many things, um, and so 
maybe we feel like that part of the market is like, um, yeah, maybe a little underserved or, or there's just a lot to talk about there that people don't end up talking about, you know, cause it's hard mm-hmm. to talk about. It's kind of getting back to what you were saying at the beginning. It is hard to talk about, you know, you have your domain at your company and it's like, yeah, you have talks and candidates and speakers and events and groups. And it's like, that's where like certain problems come in, but it's hard to talk about that with someone else at Nike who's talking about skews and filters and assortments and stores and you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um but i think there's a lot more overlap between those two apps than most people realize and and so yeah it's almost like there we we always talk about yeah the middle class stuff and i think there maybe there's another dimension which is like like public facing which is going to be things like you know small bundles, fast deployments, accessibility, uh, responsive design. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, there is, um, yeah, the internal tool, which is yeah, uh, like power users, product decisions. It is. No, um, by its, it, it, it requires more context to even talk about. I mean, even like in the videos that I've, we've been making on YouTube, we try to keep around 10 minutes and you want to make this the demo as simple as possible. But to explain some of these pain points and problems you run into, you would really need the time to set up like a domain model, let's say, and to understand the relationships to even do it. Maybe you do it over a series of videos, but um, it'd be interesting to do some of that stuff and um, try to get to it. You know, uh, Sandy Bentz used to do this where her talks would go through a refactoring, but the refactoring would be like, it would be with real world code she wouldn't set up a very basic demo that was like kind of contrived she would like work on some existing class structure that had like a bicycle that extended a machine and then you add a tricycle and a motorcycle and it's like you're looking at something that has reasonable complexity in it from the beginning but it was still really effective even though it did require more stuff in your head um Mm -hmm. and i just wonder if there's some way to do that too that we could do that since we're trying to yeah, talk about some of this stuff. It's like if you did want to talk about, yeah, forms with nested relationships, you know, with with relationships. So it's it's it does require a lot of build up of context to build up to 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 get to drive the message home in a lot of those cases. So yeah, and yeah, people definitely have done these these talks. I, I remember the recoil talk was yep. one of my favorite react just because it just sucks you in. Yeah, um, and uh, I think that was ju- that was an internal tool there were a bunch mm-hmm. of screenshots yep from from it the problems were all these are problems we ran into with this tool and um and they were it was you know i couldn't describe to you what i don't even remember what the tool was but right. i remember being able to relate to those problems so right right um yeah yep they had like a performance problem right yes it was yeah. like drawing Con- some con- some graph of data re- yeah and context was re-rendering you know context re-rendering and then you have components that just don't care about that context that data in the context of change but you do care about some other data in context and so yep. you you re-render and now everyone's re-rendering right and, right yeah. right i guess i do ha- i do have there are there were the times i did run into like actual perf problems like that is if i was doing earlier on and when i started getting into front end in like a big way i was doing like d3 stuff with ember and backbone and and showing like you know data visualizations so that's definitely a spot where you have to be aware you can't just do whatever you want if you have like thousands of products or financial instruments you can't just throw them on like an svg chart you know you can do it to some degree but then eventually you don't you can't so yeah um i've I've run into it with like virtualized lists needing virtualized lists and and that sort of stuff but uh also too like when i get um like code splitting working it's amazing and the website the websites are noticeably faster yeah um so it feels really good yeah uh but yeah just we don't it's not gonna be something you prioritize if it's not coming with a a natural update of your of your tool yeah 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 i guess i guess another way to say this is if you were to talk to the users that we build apps for right even the apps that are slow and have big bundles if you gave if you told them make a list of 10 things you want they wouldn't mention bundle size right um, so yep dude i mean they they were keeping we we built we built a 
a toast notification that told you there was a new version of the app before we built anything that had to do with reducing the bundle size because people would leave it open for days or weeks yeah. and ask for a feature that we had deployed. <laughs> and and they're like, where's a, fi- why, where's a feature? Yeah, and they're, 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 they're looking at a, a stale version of the app. So that's definitely not something that you run into as much when the public website, obviously, because people are you know, clicking all around or refreshing, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's actually a great point. Like deploy notifications are never going to get talked about on a public website. Yeah. And so, and deploy notifications are generic enough that like we can talk about them with other people that work on internal tools. There's no like domain information there. Yeah. Maybe this is actually good. Maybe this is a, uh, you're getting my, uh, my gears yeah. turning up here. This yeah. is like a good thing, a good way to like, kind of, this is a subject that we can all talk about yeah. that we can all relate to, or I hope we can all relate to, yeah. um, but it's not, it doesn't require strict knowledge of, of what we're building. Right, right, right. Cool, cool stuff. I love working on internal tools, man. Don't have to worry about SEO. You can assume which browser they're using. About, don't worry, have to worry about SEO. You just hate those meta tags, huh? <laughs> don't have to worry about SSR, the best part. You know, I mean, you can just build it like a, it's just simple, you know? The, be- dude, the best part about, for me, about internal tools are, I know exactly who my users are yeah. and I can just like, I can just walk over and talk to them. That is the best and part where I think it's really, when you have thousands of users, like the trade-offs that you have to make or, I mean, I just have like, I have no muscles in that area. Like yeah. I have no idea how that decision process works. So it's yeah. awesome that you can just say, Oh, they're going to stand up and this yell website? at you over the monitor. If something doesn't <laughs> yeah, work, you know, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So that, that's my favorite part. Good. Um, but that's not something we really talk about when building like react apps. Like, right. you know what I mean? We, right. we talk about like serving the most people around the world and right. Um, the most different devices. And it's true. That uh, stuff is dominating at least our circles because of that's what's driving the comp. Like that's what the current crop of frameworks are competing on those are like the dimensions that they're competing on um mm-hmm. you know and it really matters if you have a a, what, a public facing yeah. site i mean it, that that is why i like that remix talks about the data mutations they're talking about it from like a complexity perspective which is very appealing to me redwood had did the same thing where they're talking about yeah they're basically talking about solving those kinds of problems and um so that's Mm -hmm. it's interesting you know there are some aspects of 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 the stuff that they're talking about that do appeal to me on those dimensions but um it's definitely not what's like front and center for sure yeah yeah there's probably a spectrum right where you have like uh you know on one end it's just like generic tools that work for every single website um and then on the other end it's like tons of specific components to accomplish some task. So I'm trying to think of examples, like maybe on like the public facing website stuff, you have like Next.js and uh, Vercel. And then on like the, so that would be more like public facing. And then on like the internal tools end of the spectrum, you have stuff like, I don't know, like material design, right? Mm-hmm. Just give me like a thousand different components that, that always work. And they, those two things, like, I don't know, they're not like, maybe that's not a good spectrum because there's not like trade-offs between those two, but yeah just trying to think through this yeah no it's interesting i think i think it'd be fun to think about that um you know i've been hanging out in like the in in like the next um discord a little bit more seeing what kind of questions people ask and it's like i think that would be a good way to get some ideas for like the kinds of problems people are facing who are working on this stuff you know because a lot of people are just working on these kinds of apps and they're going to have questions about stuff the one i'm working on next maybe we can wrap, wrap this up just chat, chatting about this quick because i always like to kind of talk about what i'm doing in my next youtube video before i do it because it helps me like talk speak about it better but it's basically how to get rid of the loading spinners when you click on a link in an app and um we'll go through and um talk about what you could do there um it it's it does kind of it's fun how it circles back with some of the start transition and suspense stuff we were talking about. If we had that ability, it would be a great solution to it, but today you don't. So how do you think about dealing with that? Um, uh, and, and again, this is where if you are using a framework, like a remix where you have like a specific loader API, like a blessed data load, a route data loading API, you can do a lot with that. You know, even having named routes is like a thing that's pretty cool. And you can like associate the data loading with a named route, and if you, you know, frameworks like 
I guess like next that are lower level don't quite have that. I mean, the name is effectively the path to the file, but uh, there's no notion of tying a specific data loader with that. So that's the API that you're still kind of on your own for. And so uh, in the video, yeah, I guess you, you'd, you'd have to, you'd have to go into like server side props. Yeah. Static props. Yes. To get yes. That. Yes. That's true. If you're doing it in the server side, yes. But if you're doing it kind of dynamic on the client side, there's no real way to do that. So in the video talk about like how you might think about sharing that and then like maybe you can prefetch it when you load a link and then if you really wanted to block it how maybe you'd think about doing that i feel like your product manager's like i don't want to see you know the new page of the loader while it's loading um it's just nice to be able to have an answer to that or just how you would think through that but i think a lot of the stuff will get easier with suspense and and, and um, transitions which is cool it's like it's a real problem and the fact that there's like this low-level API coming to React that's going to help is pretty neat. It'll help in all frameworks. You know, all frameworks will be able to to leverage it. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's going to be that's going to be what I'm working on. What what video are you working on right now? Uh, start transition. So oh uh, yeah, I have an app that so you can't. It doesn't work with a router because I've I've tried a router and yeah, it's I think it's just too new. So this is you can imagine. Um, an app that lets you go through basketball players and mm. um, yeah, just view like info about them, but it takes a while to load each basketball player. The back end is really slow. And so uh, we can show how transitions can, yeah, just build a better UI, how they're cancelable and uh, how they leave your UI interactive as you're, uh, as you're transitioning between these states. So basically so. you select the next player, but you get to see the old stuff still there while it's loading. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, is that use suspense as well? Or is it just a transition? You have to use suspense. Gotcha. So like the two are related. So suspense is, so you, tr you start your transition and then the, you can imagine like you fork your app mm -hmm. and you start running the transition in another universe. And the reason that your app, the reason that react knows is that your app isn't ready to render is the fact that it's suspense. Right, right, right. So, so suspend right. is, is, is like, the thing um, that makes the transition different than a non-transition. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If you were going to transition to something that didn't suspend, you would still have a frame of like transitioning, but it would be like, yeah, you'd still have transitioning because it's still like rendering your app in like another universe and the app finishes rendering and now you but can the whole point so is still, like, Yeah. There's yeah, a time the period where you could yield to a high priority task, but now if you don't have that, then there's no. Yeah. My motivating example for this is, is you're going through each player and while the next player is loading, you have to watch a giant loading spinner because you're going to a page. So that page starts rendering and then it starts its data fetching. So, uh, you get a loading spinner and it shows how star transition can completely eliminate that, that spinner. That's pretty and, cool. Um, and give you the option, give you basically gives you the power to do what you want while the app is transitioning. Mm -hmm. So you can show an older player. You mm -hmm. can, I mean, you could do it. You could make up your own loading spinner, right? You know, show a so quote. Um, <laughs> yeah, show <a> quote. <laughs> Motivational quote. Right. That's really cool. Nice man. I'm looking forward to seeing that because I, I actually have. I'm taking a little break from the suspense stuff and concurrent feature stuff. I haven't actually still haven't had a chance to play with star transition so i'll be excited to see that when's that coming out this week hopefully nice yeah um yeah i mean we're yeah this week cool um what was i gonna say i would say the only bummer about the transition stuff is it doesn't work with routing so like if i was actually building a ui where you could go through basketball players like i would do exactly kind of what you were talking about with like remix where i would have like routes for each player so you'd have like player slash lebron james and then you would have loaders that load all of lebron james's info and i think it, you could make an awesome ui with that right uh where with this i don't have a router so you're just clicking next player the url is still localhost 3000 so right. it's it's really it's i think it's cool to to know about how this stuff works and so when it does come out and react 18 is out you 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 know you're starting from a place of having used this uh, but you can't just go off and rewrite all your pages with this right. today. Right, so. right, right. The most useful, but, like the easiest way to think about using this in a real world app is on a route transition. So until it can work with those, it's like not as clear where you would use this. Yeah, for me, when I saw this, I 
that I got really excited because of our transition. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Have to keep our eye on. Oh, also, too. Yeah, I would always looked at suspense before as like suspense is about rendering. So how does suspense affect actions that the user can take? Mm-hmm. And and so you can't like you can't like suspend from a click handler mm-hmm. like this. That concept just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but start transition is you can basically like is a bridge to that. It shows you how you can when someone clicks something, you can start. Rendering you can't throw version. a promise in a click handler. Suspense is all about rendering. So mm-hmm. just in a world mm-hmm. of suspense, it's all about rendering. So if you threw a promise in an event handler, it's not part of rendering. It's, like it's like throwing a promise. The the uh, the the browser is gonna show a little red right red uh, console error. You right, know right, I mean? right, 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 right. Um, so then, how do you, how do you make suspense work with um, like what like events, user yeah. interaction? And, and that's uh, like the bridge start. to that is Star Trans. Oh, that's a cool way to think about it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as start yeah. the event handler sets some state which triggers a re-render, but if that's wrapped in a transition, then you can cause it to suspend. That's like the that's the story. It, that's cool. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's so weird because you just you need this notion of like, wait, how can my app suspend while it's rendered on screen and the user's clicking it? And it's right. like really you're like forking the app. Right. Doing a bunch of work and and it's really it's in another universe. Right. And then when it's pixels pixels are ready, React can take them in and draw them to the screen. Right. Right. Or right. when it's pixels are ready, React can say, actually I don't need these pixels anymore. Right. Just discard them. And exactly. And when I was trying to play with start transition, I was trying to do something that actually slept on the JavaScript thread. But uh if you did that, I mean that you can break up that new tree into chunks that like sleep every hundred milliseconds and potentially it could be interrupted by a high priority event like an input handler but it's easier to understand when it's io bound instead of sorry network bound instead of io bound because when it's network wait, bound wait, wait, no, you're no. literally waiting for a resp- response from the server and so like preparing in the background just means like you have that tree that's waiting but you can still have an app here if you had a new tree to be prepared that took like five 100 second uh chunks of the thread uh it's like you you could it could like yield back in between steps two and three if there was a click handler or a a, a mouse input on a text field but um it's easier to understand with the network stuff yeah absolutely but network bound is io bound and the other one would be like cpu bound. sorry that's right that's that's you're you're right in your analogy yeah i i think so it's like it's hard to think of like, well, if I have something that's CPU bound, so there's how just like can, a while loop that's right. chugging away, how can I yield out? Like, how can I <laughs> still be responsive? So yeah. it's it's hard to relate to. And then you also think like, well, well, then I'm just going to like do this work on the server or yeah. do this work in like a, a worker. Like you don't, you don't, the, the, but the network, network. The network is the easiest I-O first bound. step. When I was playing yes. with it, I... I had this function that that literally took 500 milliseconds of like thread to do. And I also had a function that used my clock from a previous video, which was updating every millisecond. And at first I thought I had it worked. Like I, (laughs) so stupid, like saying out loud, you wrap it in transition. And I thought the timing was off. So I thought the clock was still going. I was like, wow, holy crap. This is so cool. Like it does the work and the time, because the time's another component. It's outside. It's still updating, but like it's, It's literally impossible. If you have a ta- if you have a function that you call it, it takes five hundred milliseconds of the thread, there's nothing that anyone can yeah, do to keep the app responsive during that five hundred milliseconds. Is if you break it up into like five one hundred millisecond sleeps and each one of those, let's say, is in a start transition, that gives op- a React opportunity to yield in between those and potentially handle handle a higher priority thing. So you're still going to take up 500 milliseconds of the thread with the work you have to do. Let's say you're rendering to Canvas or rendering some complex SVG document. But by breaking it up, you get to schedule it. And so they can they can slot in high priority work there. But again, with the IO bound stuff, it's easier because your event loop is literally free. The thread is not doing anything while it's waiting for a response other than listening for a callback. So um, right. it's just easier to kind of wrap your head around. But I think it'll be cool to do that and then jump to and then do a, a CPU bound one and show that working. It's just a little bit more complicated to set up. Yeah, feel like I would go into like a contrived example because I don't. The stuff that I get CPU bound on, it's not 
that's not code I write. Right. It's going to sound like because I don't write CPU. Code. No, no, but it's yeah. just like I'm usually delegating to like some library for things that are CPU intensive. Like, it, like you said, like yeah. D3 or whatever. 3JS. So, It'd be cool. Maybe experience yeah. to play with 3JS, render some like, you know, like 10,000 particle scene, scene or yeah. something. I don't know. So those, so those libraries must have the concept of they're not just going to like do a sync render where they take some input and they run a bunch of CPU intensive code and then give you an output because that would lock the main thread. I think so it's very do. easy to do that with those libraries. I mean, you can, it's very easy to do that. But then if you did that, you don't gain anything from, using well, you'd have to, transition. no, you'd have to break it up and yeah, okay. you have to break it up. Yeah. So do those libraries have a way where they can batch their work so that mm -hmm. they can yield for, right. Cause you have to, basically you're saying if you're calling three JS dot render and it takes 500 milliseconds, you're not going to be able to schedule that because it's just going to happen regardless. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Maybe you do it in like a use request animation frame. And then in each frame, you wrap each set of work to be done or something, each update in like a start transition. Again, though, like if the function you're calling takes 500 milliseconds, it can well, go as many start animation yeah. frames as it wants. It's, but it's maybe if you, maybe minutes. if you update it less frequently, right? If you update the thing less frequently, like if, if you're rendering something that's like a moving scene and you you update it all the time, it's too it's too much work. So then you you start by updating it only every uh, sixty frames a second using RAF. So it's like you're doing less total work and it's giving you some opportunity to schedule in the between it. Okay, I'm not sure. I agree though. If you are just having a single function that's like too intense, I don't know if there's anything you can do with that. You'd have to think about how to break it up. Um, I think you know you know it, it would be I'm like cool way out of my league here. I'm just like completely. You know. Well, I mean, this just goes to show, but for both of us, we don't, we don't really run into this again, back to the internal tools, um, uh, high CPU intensive tasks yeah. are not something that internal tool developers ever face. The, so. the, I made this really big, like, um, interactive, um, survey at a financial software company I started at working at. honestly, probably like one of the best things I've ever made even to this day. Cause it was just, I was like in that period of life where I was like fired up and staying up till three o'clock in the morning, like working on <laughs> stuff at work and they were loving it, you know? And it showed like all of the, this just like numbers, fi financial numbers from the company at the end of the year, they could filter it all. It's like D3 charts with backbone that were like interactive. And so it, it would got, it would get slow sometimes, you know? And, um, gotcha. I feel like that kind of thing, like maybe you have 500 milliseconds of work, but I have 10 different charts on the page. And when you update a filter, you re-render all of them. And so now maybe you can like choose to re-render mm. the first third. You do the first then, yield. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something like that. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that's how you kind of think about breaking it up. Nice. And that way, if you start typing the search bar or clicking other filters while the updates are happening, I mean, that would actually be perfect little demo for it. Um, because that would happen. Like you click a filter and like stutter and re-render everything and then click another one. I know these things exist because yeah. like you brought up like the, the, the zooming thing suspending. Yep. So that's like one. And then yep. the other was like from one of the original suspense talks with like that radar circle. Right. That would, that would detect lag. Um, right. So yeah, I just, it's, it's just hard. like you want something that's not contrived. Like you want something that's like as close to realistic as possible. Maybe some sort of like giant table virtual mm -hmm. list, um, mm -hmm. because that's something that I've, I've run into. And my yep. answer is always something crappy like, oh, we're just going to do pagination. Right. Because the, the other things are too hard. Right, right, right. Cool. All right. Sounds like a good place to wrap it, yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. I guess uh, that's it for this week. And uh, I'm going to be snowboarding here pretty soon. But I think we'll be back next week as well, just to have it a little bit later in the week. So um, we should be able to talk to you then and hope they'll have a fun story or two from uh, Lake Tahoe, from North Star, from Heavenly. If you have any uh, cool tips for me there, you can drop me a line on Twitter, I guess. That'd be fun. And hope I don't break my back. You know, I'm getting old, man. I just turned 35. I, uh, I, I tried jumping last time I went snowboarding and uh, I hurt my coccyx. Pretty bad, actually. Didn't know if I was going to stand up. Ended up being not oh. too bad. But I'll be sure to be careful because I've got like five days ahead of me. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I think I'm not 19 those, years I, old anymore, you know? I think one of those heavenly maybe, um, they have like an actual like little like park. That, oh, man. That you, that you go through with like rails and stuff. Yeah. 
That'd be fun. I'm not going to do anywhere else. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it, 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 where I was at last in, um, in Minnesota, they had a park and they had the line. I, have you ever seen this before? I've never seen this. It's a rope that tows you up. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what we do. When I learned how to ski at, um, Neshoba Valley. It's like that's an hour outside of Boston. That's what we did. Oh man, it's so yeah, cool yeah. because you don't wait for anything. You snowboard down and then you get on it and then you get right to the top. But this was actually steep enough and icy enough that I fell trying to get up. It was also the end of the day, so I was like, <laughs> I don't want to mess with this because I was kind of like beat up already. But I just had to try it. But it was like it was actually pretty tough to ride this thing up. It was fast too. Oh yeah, the. I remember this is when I was learning. So like you'd like walk up to it and you're like, okay, you just, do I grab? Do I grab? Start yeah, holding and it just starts pulling and you. <laughs> and you get to the top. This was also, this one was slow because like yeah. it was for learning. Right. right. It's, um, but yeah, people would fall all the time and yeah. 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 It's a good time. So maybe they'll have that. I'll get another shot of that. But anyway, it should be fun. Okay, cool. Hey, thanks for listening. And uh, we will see y'all people next time. Bye-bye. See ya.